going to continue our series that we've entitled The Greatest Christmas by looking at how we can have joy in the middle of our disappointments, in the middle of our discouragements. And uh, part of the reason that we can do that is, is, or part of the way that we can do that is by turning our eyes on Jesus, as we just sang. Uh, because when we fix our eyes on Christ, those other things that are going on that David was talking about uh, in his wonderful shopping adventure, uh, that those things can, can grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer all the time as we uh, keep our focus on Christ. I remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my dad wanted to take a trip to uh, Metamora. Uh, he had heard some guys at work talking about their families uh, uh, going there for a, for a nice trip, and he wanted to take us, and so we piled in the car, and we headed from Brazil, Indiana, to Metamora. It was a two-and-a-half-hour drive one way, so five hours round trip in the car. Now, Dad was hard of hearing, and he must have missed the part where they said, a good time to go to Metamora is the first weekend of October. For the Canal Days Fall Festival. We went in June. Um, to say that mom and us kids were a little disappointed, that's a little bit of an understatement. You know, you think about going to Metamora in June, a two and a half hour car ride going there, and then nothing is going on. To say that we were disappointed, that's just a, a that's, that's an understatement. Anybody here ever go to Metamora? Anybody here? Okay. In June? <laughs> on purpose? Okay, there's not a whole lot there, right? And, and I don't even know if October is really all that much better, but I know June was a bit of a flop for our family. I haven't been back in 40 years. Now, what has happened down through the years is that one moment that we had that was an incredibly long, disappointing, boring day has been a continuing story in our family year after year after year. And this really boring story has turned into a source of great joy for our family because every time we get together when Dad was still alive and even today we we take a little shot at dad for that wonderful trip and uh, he had no comeback right and those of you who knew my dad he always had a comeback my dad was never at a loss for words except when we brought up Metamora and uh, he had absolutely nothing dad's been gone for over 15 years now and Metamora still gets brought up from time to time and it's amazing to me how even in the midst of great disappointment even when you look forward to something uh, for a long time and you just can't wait to see what's going to happen and then it doesn't pan out the way that you want it to, there's this discouragement, there's this, this disappointment, but we can still find great joy if we turn our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we turn our eyes on him and those other things around us, those discouragements and those dis disappointments, those things start to fade when we keep our attention on Jesus, right? The, the story of going to Metamora, that's a very small uh, story in comparison to what I want to share with you today as we talk about Luke's account of the birth of Christ. And it's this uh, third Sunday that we call Advent. We're going to examine this attribute of joy and understand that the greatest Christmas can't be found in anything that you can buy or do or ever hope to be, the greatest gift can't be found under a tree. It's in a baby sent to die for you and me. And that baby brings us hope in our uncertainties and peace in our struggles. And today we're going to talk about how it brings us joy in the midst of our disappointments and in the midst of our discouragement. 
through these traits of hope and peace and joy, we're learning how, how we can rediscover Christmas. Are any of you like, like me and you like you get to a certain point in your age and you look back and, and you think, man, Christmas just isn't what it used to be. And it's not just the surprises, and it's not just the toys, and it's not just the family gatherings, but we've kind of lost our focus. And I think the church needs to rediscover Christmas. It's mind-boggling to me, and, and, and if you're associated uh, with, with, or have been associated with any church that's doing this, it's mind-boggling to me how a church can cancel their service because it's Christmas Day. And a lot of churches are doing it, and it's mind-boggling to me because we're just pushing, we're pushing the message out of the way, you know, because Christ came, he, he wanted to be with us, God with us, and, and because of that, we can experience this joy no matter what our circumstances are, and we need to rediscover that. We need to get back to having that, that joy and that love and that excitement, not just the month of December or actually late October to uh, the, the end of the year, uh, where, where, where we get caught in all of these, these trappings and all the festivities of Christmas, but, but having that joy 365 days a year because God is with us. And regardless of what we're going through, we can have this, this joy and we can have this contentment in our lives. There's a lot of joy in the biblical account of Jesus' birth, especially early in the story. But it's important to note, even though there's all of this joy that is going on in the story, it isn't separate from a lot of pain that's happening as well. There's a lot of pain in the Christmas story. There's a lot of disappointment in the Christmas story. But as you read it, you see joy highlighted here and joy highlighted there. And you see all of these characters in Scripture who are having these, these uh, joyous attitudes and these happy and these contented attitudes and personalities, even though they are going through difficult times, right? In fact, here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times our joy is born out of long periods of disappointment and discouragement. You ever notice that? You go through a long period of things where they're, they're just really, really tough, and then you come out of it, and you just got this joy. And it's more than just you're thankful that the situation is over. It's a joy that, that, that the Bible says, really, it, it's this peace and this contentment that, that the Apostle Paul talks about that we don't even understand. I want us to look at Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they're, they're an incredible couple in this story. And we're going to look at Mary and Joseph a little bit as well. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 5 through 7. Here's what it says. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, th this, isn't, this is just a short paragraph here, but it would have spoken volumes to Luke's original audience, right? We, we've got Herod. Uh, who, who's basically, you know, the Roman, the Roman king. Uh, he's keeping the, the Jews under, under harsh Jewish or, or Roman control. And these are difficult times. And in the midst of these difficult times, we've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. They both come from this priestly lineage. And in a day where there's a lot of religious corruption, right? When we read the Bible and we see all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these, these fakes, 
that, that, that are involved in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in God's people. We see all of these, these fakes. Here comes Zechariah and Elizabeth, who really are the epitome of what it means to be a follower of God. They stand out in stark contrast to the rest of the religious leaders. And so they're described as righteous, they're described as blameless, they're described as faithful, and this is especially important in light of what Luke tells us next. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are old, and they've never been able to have children. And I know how discouraging that is for some people, because I've been around some couples who are that way. They've never been able to have children, and, and I've witnessed it firsthand just how disappointing it can be for people who, who just want and want and want to have children. But in that day and age, it was, it was, even, it was even more uh, devastating to a, to a couple because everybody looks at this couple that can't have children, and they start thinking, what happened? What did they do? Why isn't God blessing them? These people, they're, they're just looking at them like this, like under, under a microscope or with, with binoculars and just really scrutinize what they must have done wrong. And so the angel appears to them and says, you're going to have a baby. And as you, you may already know the story, Zachariah is so overwhelmed, he can hardly believe the news. And when he questions the news, the angel says, in his best Bill Ingvall voice, here's your sign, right? I'm glad you didn't laugh. That means you're not watching something you're, you know, you're supposed, not supposed to be watching. Anybody with me? Anybody know who Bill Ingvall is? Just me and Rusty? God bless the rest of you. Good job, Rusty. You and I need to seek counseling probably afterwards. Anyway, here's your sign. You won't be able to speak until the child is born. This is going to be a sign. And the prophet basically is left to writing and signaling everything that he wants to communicate to people, right? And so Elizabeth, she's quicker to believe the news, and she says this in verse uh, 25 of chapter 1, how kind is the Lord. So the, the, the woman gets it before the man. Shocking, I heard that, I heard that, but I just, you know, I just want to point that out. How kind is the Lord, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. There's an odd note in the previous verse that tells us that Elizabeth went into seclusion after she found out. For the first five months, she just basically went into seclusion. And maybe this has something to do with her disgrace, right? She's lived all these years, never been able to have a baby. Now all of a sudden she is, and maybe she just goes into hiding because she's like, man, I I just need some time to deal with this. Because for her, her inability to have children would have been a lifelong source of pain. It would have been a lifelong source of sorrow and shame. She knew that people were looking at her the wrong way. She knew that people were talking about her because she wasn't able to have children. It was a big deal in that culture. And so the great hopes of this young couple who wanted to have children, Elizabeth and Zachariah, would have eventually faded down through the years as they got older. I would think year after year after year, they're thinking it's never going to happen. I'm sure that Elizabeth questioned herself several times. Not only were other people saying, what did she do? She's probably thinking herself, God, what did I do? She's probably asking the same questions that everybody else was asking. Perhaps she'd been pregnant before. Maybe that's why she went into hiding. She'd been pregnant before, and you know how it is. Some, sometimes things go wrong in pregnancies. People have miscarriages, and so a lot of times we don't let the news out here until you're in your second trimester because you, if something happens, you know, you just don't want 
You don't want to have to deal with that. And so maybe that was part of it. Maybe all of these other times she'd tried and it didn't work. And, and so maybe her hopes are starting to dim and she just wanted to keep it to herself. But at some point, she and everyone around her, they're probably declaring her barren. And now all of a sudden the angel says, you're going to have a baby. Maybe that's why she stayed in seclusion for five months, keeping to herself. Maybe she's just letting that joy blossom personally. Maybe she just, have you ever had something that's just really, really good and really great, even though you like sharing great things with people, it's just so personal, you just kind of want to enjoy the moment yourself for a while? Maybe that's it, right? Or maybe she was just unsure that the pregnancy was going to last. We don't really know. If you were watching a movie, there would probably be a subtitle flash along the screen. While Zachariah and Elizabeth are dealing with this, there would be a subtitle that says, Meanwhile, in Galilee, Elizabeth, while she's six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another visit, this time to a young lady, and he's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all time. And Mary received this news gracefully and willingly. But at some point, I'm sure, after Mary receives the news and she says, Lord, however you want it to be, I'm good with that. Or something along those lines. Right? She had to know, uh-oh, there's going to be some challenges for me. There's going to be some disgrace for me. My world's about to be turned upside down, even though I know I'm in the midst of what God is asking me to do. She had to know that there was going to be scorn. She had to know that there was going to be shame. And she had to know that her family was going to be criticized. And she had to know that her fiancé was going to be ostracized as well. She had to know that the, the pressure would be tremendous when people realized that she wasn't married, but she was going to have a baby. How do you go about making people believe that the baby that is in your womb is God's son? Where do you even start? That's not an easy task. And so Joseph, he was kind of like Zachariah. Duh. He, didn't, he didn't understand it either, all right? And then Matthew's gospel tells us Joseph planned to break off their engagement. In fact, the, the, the trend, really the more accurate is he planned to divorce her. Even though they weren't married, the, the engagement was so binding in that day and age that it was viewed as a divorce in that culture when you broke off the engagement. And so Mary's life from this moment on, her journey, it was not going to be easy. Maybe that's why Luke tells us a few days later, okay, so here we got Zechariah and Elizabeth over here. Mary has just received the news. And in verse 40, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. I'm sure Mary heard of the miraculous news about her uh, relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. If anyone's going to understand, if anyone is going to understand what I'm going through, it's going to have to be Elizabeth. It has to be. She's got to thought that, think that. And, and I think she was right. And then this is where the joy starts to erupt. This is where we see God taking a situation in both of these ladies' lives 
and just really bringing it to a point where joy is just overflowing. The joy just comes bursting through as these two mothers-to-be meet. Listen to what it says in verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting. This is, this is one of the coolest verses in all of Scripture, I think. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry. And exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Now what a relief this must have been to Mary, right? She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry anymore about being uh, understood by somebody because she went to Elizabeth and Elizabeth completely got it. They were on the same page. They were, they were, I mean, I know the Bible says they were relatives, but they became like sisters there. I mean, they're like soul sisters at that point. And all she had to do was say hello and Elizabeth knew. Even her developing baby inside of her knew and leaped within her. And this was just the the encouragement. This was the affirmation that Mary needed. And her joy came bursting through as well. And listen to what she said or sang, right? Here's what it says. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her home. This is an incredible passage of scripture. On one level, it's a celebration and a connection in the midst of miraculous events. But on another level, it's two expectant moms sharing a deep understanding and affirmation of one another that I think helped foster the flow of joy in each of their lives. That they could look at this moment with what was going on and the Holy Spirit being involved in their lives and God being in the midst of all of this. They could understand that no matter what had happened in the past, no matter what everybody else was saying, no matter what is going to come in the future, God's got this. And I'm going to be joyful about that. And there's a lot we can take away from this story, and I'd like to focus on just three points today that we can apply to our own experience. Here's the first thing, and I know this sounds maybe elementary, right? But here's the first thing. It's okay to be joyful and happy. It's okay. Now, for some of you, this is a no-brainer. Duh, kind of knew that, Ron, thanks. Glad I came today. For others of you, maybe it's a little more of a subversive kind of statement that might make you a little bit uncomfortable if you really think about it. Because a lot of you, depending on where you fall on the spectrum, it depends on your personal past of whether you believe that or not. For a lot of you, maybe it depends on your spiritual history of whether you really believe that or not. 
I was talking to Sandy the other day, and I said, Sandy, you and Kendall have been married for a long time, and you guys just seem so happy all the time. I said, what's the secret to your happiness? She said, oh, that's easy. We go out to eat at a nice restaurant two nights a week. I said, that's awesome. Where do you go? She said, well, I go to Red Lobster, and Kendall goes to Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that's how they stay happy. It works. Just going well. That's not true, but I thought, you know, it was funny. So I put it in there. We probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. Like they're two separate things, you know. Like almost like happiness is fleeting and temporary, but joy is, is deeper and more fulfilling. Often in the, the Christian culture, we, we uh, split these two things as if, Happiness is something that is in the secular world, and joy is something that is more spiritual, it's more important, it's more fulfilling. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Did you know that the Bible really doesn't make a distinction between the two? When you look at the Greek and you look at the Hebrew, they are essentially uh, the same thing, right? Now, we have two different meanings for the same uh, same word, really, but but they but and, and and they have different nuances, like other synonyms do, you know. Uh, but a lot of times, that's because of the culture. That's a, a lot of times because you know things shift in our culture, and we use them different ways, and so so on and so forth. But but they they've been translated somewhat differently in our different English translations of the Bible. But the original Hebrew and the original Greek terms used in the Bible to describe joy and happiness they are essentially interchangeable, right? This is what Randy Alcorn says. Randy Alcorn is a, is a great theologian, and, and in his book uh, called Happiness, uh, and, and I'm going to simplify basically what he is saying in the book. He's basically saying, uh, and I'm going to simplify it because he wrote a whole book, and, and I don't, I don't want to share all that with you. But anyway, um, I think this is something we need to hear and we need to be reminded of. He says, it's okay to be happy and joyful, and it's okay to enjoy those emotions. Especially during this time of year, I think it's okay. It's good to embrace. It's good to celebrate joy. It's, it's, it's good to be happy. It's good to be joyous. And it's certainly hard to find the right balance in our lives sometimes to savor and experience that joy because what we do is we pack our schedules so full of stuff, especially this time of year, and we pack our schedules so, so full with shopping and feeling like we have to do this or do that, and, and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and it robs us of our joy. But to those of you who find yourself driven by obligation and busyness and guilt during this season, it's okay to stop and say, and Kendall, you and I, we need to... I'm preaching to two of us right now. It's okay to say no. It's okay to tell people no. I, I think sometimes we're so bad, and I'm bad about this. I'm bad about being a people pleaser, and I feel like if I tell somebody no, then they might not like me as much. Am I preaching to anyone else this morning? Okay, good. If not, I was going to be real concerned. And so what we do is we tell people yes and yes and yes and yes and then we, we don't get turned around once or twice and we're just like we're overwhelmed with stuff we've got to do. And then we find this season of year that is supposed to be the most joyous time of year. We find it to be one of the most discouraging. It can be one of the most depressing. It can be one of the most painful, difficult seasons we go through. 
And to those of you who are hurting, those of you who are grieving personally, this is really tough season for you as well. For some of you, it's your first holiday without a loved one. Or maybe it's your second one or third one. Maybe it's the fifth year. Maybe it's the 25th year. My dad's been gone 15 years. My mom's been gone 12 every time Christmas rolls around. It's it's a tough season. But I want you to know that God sees you no matter where you're at on the emotional spectrum of happiness and joy. And my point is this. Our longing for happiness and joy is a desire that God has placed within us. And I think it's a reflection of his own nature. You use whatever term you want to call it. But the most important part is our what is our source of joy and happiness? Because here's what I deal with all the time. Well, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, so I'm going to leave my spouse. That doesn't come from God. God doesn't want me to be unhappy, so I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing that the Bible clearly calls sin because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. The preacher just said, God wired that into us. When the source of the joy and happiness is in total contradiction to what the Word of God says, then we got an issue. If you're searching for your joy and your happiness outside of something that He would approve of, you might want to reconsider what you're trying to find your joy and happiness in. And the Bible tells us that that joy that comes from Christ, that's our strength. If you're taking notes, that's the second thing. The joy is our strength. A great reminder of this, a great example of this is Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah, the Old Testament? He got permission from uh, Artaxerxes, the king, to return from exile in Babylon, rebuild Jerusalem, starting with its walls. And, and here's the deal. This process was more than just a physical rebuilding of, of Jerusalem, or of, 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 of the Jewish people. It was a spiritual reawakening of the people. Chapter 8, the book of Nehemiah, he brings all the people together. They bring out the law of Moses. So they basically start reading the word of God. And Nehemiah is calling people to remember, to return to their relationship with God. And as he does, as he's telling people, you need to return to your relationship with God, people are weeping. And maybe there's tears of joy because they're returning but maybe some of the people are starting to think about how they've treated God. Maybe some of the people are starting to think about how they've been acting. And so here in the midst of this scene where all of these people are, are weeping, it's a beautiful scene. The Bible tells us, Nehemiah said, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods. I like that. And sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate. Enjoy it. That's what Nehemiah says. Why? Because this is a time for happiness. That God has brought us back into a right relationship with him through his son. That's why we celebrate it. That's why they were celebrating. God's now back, back in a right relationship with God. They're starting to remember God. And the source of their strength is in the joy of the Lord. And that's what fuels us. That's what sustains us, the Bible says. Our true source of happiness, our true source of joy, our true source of fulfillment can only come from Christ. 
And during this Christmas season of joy, because of the Messiah has come into the world, he has provided a way for us for everlasting life. That gives us the ultimate fulfillment that we can have. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. To know that when this life passes and your soul is saved and you're headed for heaven, there's no greater joy than that, church. The Bible calls it inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, that sounds like pretty deep stuff, right? The, the kind of, of uh, joy that finds its source even deeper than our pain, even deeper than our sorrow, even deeper than our problems can bury us. There's a joy that is within us, a deep well to draw from, no matter what we're facing. Now, I want you to understand something. This isn't just the uh, don't worry, be happy kind of attitude I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just put on a fake plastic smile and go about your life and just everything's okay. And I'm not saying you have to be happy with everything that everybody does. Not even here at church. <laughs> You don't have to like everything that we do here at church. Reminds me of a Sunday school teacher questioning her students about a lesson on God's all-powerful omnipotence. She said, now children, is there anything that God can't do? And the preacher's son immediately raised his hand into the air. And the teacher thought, oh, good, here we go. You know, she thought, maybe he missed the point of what I was talking about. He raised his hand, and half-heartedly, she asked him, says, well, just what is it that God can't do? And the boy said, well, my dad said just yesterday that not even God can make everybody in this church happy. I get that. I see Marianne. Marianne, you get that back there? Marianne Bailey, one of our teachers, a preacher's wife, she's here this morning. You get that. And here's the deal. God never asks us to make everyone happy. Right? And sometimes joy is this rushing fountain that just, whoosh, sometimes it bubbles up slowly from within. And sometimes we have trouble finding our joy because we're so focused on things in our lives that really, when you get down to it, they don't matter. Pretty good at Majoring in the minors sometimes and losing our joy because we're so focused on what this person did or what that person didn't do instead of relying on what Christ has done for us. And wherever you find yourself today in that joy spectrum, I want to encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be found no matter what you're facing. And that leads us to our final point. We can choose joy. We can choose it, right? There's a lot of uses of the word rejoice in the Bible. It's not a word that we use as much in our culture today, I don't think. We should. Rejoice, and, and again, Kendall's going to be impressed with me because this is English stuff, and he was an English major, right? And so rejoice is the verb form of the word 
joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. You impressed? Oh, it's going to get better. Sit tight. If you look even more closely at the word, you'll notice that it begins with the prefix re. Now think back to your grammar class, kids. All right? Think over your English words, all the words that have that word re, and you'll remember that this prefix means once more, or again, or return to. So to rejoice is to return to joy. It's a choice. It's an action that we can take. To return to joy. And I'd like to add that for us, it's a return to the source of our joy. It's a return to Jesus. And hear me on this, church, because I believe this is the only way that we can find true delight, the only way that we can find true satisfaction, find true joy. I believe the process is the same for all of us, whether we're feeling the happiness and the joy of the season or not, whether we're buried in discouragement, or everything's going our way. None of us can conjure up an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time. No matter how optimistic or positive or no matter what your natural disposition is. We can't be Buddy the Elf 365 days a year. Sooner or later, we're going to have one of those days. Or weeks. Or years. In reality, we have them way more than we'd really like to. Amen? That's where the re comes in. That's where we return regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus, our source of joy. That's why the the process of rejoicing basically is Refueling our tank, restoring our, our strength, renewing our spirits, reconnecting with our Savior. All these rewords, we got to get back to that. And it's in this process. This is, I think this is what the Apostle James was talking about when he wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. How many of you would like to need nothing? I got to admit, sometimes the last thing we want to hear when we're hurting is this. Sometimes joy can feel so far away. When we're grieving, when we're depressed, when we're afraid. When we're in pain, when it's problem after problem after problem, but let me encourage you that James isn't necessarily saying, be happy about your trials and problems. He's saying, we can find joy in them when we see the bigger picture beyond. And the bigger picture is this, God is working behind the scenes for our good and for his glory. Even in the difficult times. You can look at the rejoices of the book of Psalms because there's a bunch of them. Psalm 13 is a great example. It begins with the, the psalmist's painful cry as he says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? 
forever? You imagine what he must have been going through to be feeling that low? But then he ends with a declaration, a reminder, if you will. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've rescued me. It's just one example of how the Psalms are honest and raw and how the writers pour out their feelings in these prayer-like poems and these songs that have been written. And then we see that in this process, through this process of remembering, when we remember all that God has done for us, I think there's this stirring that happens in our souls. It's like the old song that we sing every Thanksgiving, Count Your Blessings. That seems like the only time, that's about the only Thanksgiving song we ever do, right? Count Your Blessings. It's amazing what God has done for you. When you really stop down, you start listing the things that God has done for you. It's amazing. And my hope for you is this, that we rediscover Christmas this year by embracing joy. No matter what we're going through, we're going to choose to have joy as we remember each day what the source of our joy is or who the source of our joy is. And let us seek happiness, not in the seasonal trappings and the traditions around us, but by returning constantly to Jesus. There's an old story about a disgruntled early American uh, who went to Ben Franklin one time to complain. And as, as uh, I tell this story, I'm going to ask our worship team to come to get ready to lead us in our closing song. This, uh, this disgruntled early American complained to Ben Franklin. He said, uh, so where's all this happiness that the Constitution was supposed to guarantee me? And Franklin is said to have responded with this. The Constitution guarantees the American people only the right to pursue happiness. You've got to catch it yourself. Well, I fully believe that the way that you catch it is by dedicating your life to serving Jesus Christ. It's only through Him that you'll find this joy, this happiness, this contentment that the world doesn't understand. And maybe some of you are here today and you don't understand that joy because you've not committed your life to Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity to do that during this song of decision. If you're here today and you want to surrender your life to him, we encourage you to come, to confess Jesus as the Christ, to repent of your sins. Maybe you've not been baptized into him yet and you need to do that. Or maybe you've done all of those things, but somewhere along the way, the, the things of this world have become more visible and more visible all the time because we've taken our eyes off of the source of our joy, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As we sing, if you have a need, we encourage you to come. If you're watching at home and you want to talk to a, a, a minister uh, or an elder, um, you can reach out through our church connection number that will be on the screen. Um, whatever it is, we encourage you to, to come. Let's